so this morning, if you would turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John in chapter 12. Uh, this morning, as I promised last Sunday morning, that we are going to backtrack a little bit and uh, cover uh, a couple of verses that we ended with. And so we'll, we'll consider this morning verses 9 through 19. Uh, this passage is normally associated with, uh, with Palm Sunday. Um, we are going to look at it now because that is just next in uh, line as we go through uh, John's Gospel together. First we'll pray, then we'll, we'll read the passage, and then we'll make some observations and applications. And the aim of every sermon ought to be this, that we get to the aim of the biblical writer and the aim of the big A author, and that that aim of the author is the aim of the message uh, to be preached, and they should be in agreement. And that is uh, my weekly, daily prayer as we gather together to uh, hear God's Word. So let us, um, let us pray this morning. Father God, we do come to your scriptures this morning in humble dependence upon the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth about God the Son to the praise of your glorious grace. We ask that Jesus Christ crucified would be the focus of all who gather here and this morning in all the churches in the area. At Yamhill Christian this morning, we pray for the truth of the gospel to ring loud and true. We ask for that throughout our region this morning and in this place particularly. We pray for continued healing for Barbara this morning. We ask that you give traveling mercies to Joe and Carol this week as they vacation. Uh, we ask for the McAvoy family's uh, health as they continue to heal and for their extended family as well. Uh, we lift up the Vanderveens who uh, had some illness this week and uh, we just pray for uh, Drew and Holly as Drew goes back to work next week after uh, some weeks off, uh, that Holly would have enough help as she has those two uh, little ones, Lord, and I just pray that um, that uh, she would have a, uh, a, a blessed time uh, even without uh, Drew's help, and that if she needs help, I pray, Lord, that she would be stirred to uh, reach out to us and that we would be obedient to go and, and serve her. We trust, Lord, that you can do exceedingly greater things than, than we even pray here this morning. So we ask that your will be done in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So first, let us read the passage, John 12. We're going to begin in verse 9 and go through verse 19. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him... Many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. 
The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of God. So what does it mean to be a witness? Well, in a court of law, it means to give a truthful account of the events that you have personally, intimately observed or experienced. For the Christian, the term witness is much fuller. It means that concerning Jesus Christ, concerning his death and resurrection, having having personally experienced its power, you defend that truth even if it means your own harm, even unto death. Because the term witness in the Greek is martus, which is where we get our term martyr. In our passage this morning, uh, we're going to notice that the crowd is gathered together for the Passover. We'll see a crowd within a crowd heralding the truth of Jesus of Nazareth. We will see a crowd within the crowd believing that Jesus does great signs and wonders. And finally, a crowd within a crowd that desires that Jesus and his followers be silenced. Let us uh, back up and look again at verses 9 through 11 so we get some context. Because a lot of this is about crowds. You're going to see there's a large crowd. Then there's a, there's a large crowd again uh, in, in verse 12. So there's, there's a crowd, and then that crowd is part of a larger crowd. So hopefully you'll track with me as we go, because it is important. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So when we back up to where we left off last Sunday, the large crowd made up of believing Jews also had in its crowd chief priests and those who desired to see evidence of Jesus' power to raise Lazarus from the dead. The evidence of the resurrection power of Jesus was causing Jews to believe in Jesus. So the chief priests designed not only to kill Jesus, but they desire to rid themselves of the evidence and call for Lazarus' death as well. So based on this evidence, they're like, we must kill Lazarus, we must kill Jesus. We deny the evidence. We need to destroy the evidence. That's what we looked at last week. But it's important for us to see this crowd because in the crowd of humanity, I did pose this question last week and I'm posing it again in a sense. Who are you? In the crowd of humanity, who are you? Are you an observer who is, like some of them, looking for signs and miracles and signs of God's work? Are you one in a crowd who is so desirous of self-directed moral independence that you're a denier of the truth of the Scriptures? Which is the the take of the chief priests, right? They were so desirous of self-directed moral independence, even from God, that that they denied the truth of the Scriptures as it was played out right in front of them. They saw Jesus had the power over death. He spoke and Lazarus rose. They were so desirous of self-directed moral independence. I think that names a lot of people in our society, doesn't it? A lot. Or are you one of whom Jesus has called out from the crowd? Are you one who is in the crowd of humanity and you've been called out of the crowd? You've been called unto Christ by grace and you have been given faith to believe. See, here they are 
in Bethany. And the next day, they are, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So here, the large crowd is those who had come to the feast of the Passover. It's made up of the crowd that had been with Jesus when Lazarus uh, was raised, a crowd that heard that Jesus was coming and had heard that Jesus had performed this miracle, right? So there are those who were witnesses to the raising of Lazarus. There are those, a crowd of those who heard that he was coming. There is a crowd of those who had uh, wanted to come and see the miraculous. They knew that he had performed this. And out of the crowd comes an announcement, the witness to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Those who witness Jesus' power, we're going to see later in the passage, but it is those who witness the power of the resurrection of Jesus calling Lazarus to life from death, who proclaim and herald Jesus Christ as king. He is the king. When we look at verse 13, so they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So here's the crowd. This is, this is, I want you to get, get the picture of this crowd who has come to Jerusalem. A, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem during the time of Passover would have drawn about 2,700,000 people, not including unclean foreigners. So there's a lot of people who are coming to Jerusalem. So when they say this is a large crowd, this is a large crowd. And like the Feast of Tabernacles, at the time of the Passover, they would sing the Hillel, right? Which is that, that song uh, that was sung from Psalm 113 through 118. And they would sing this at, during the Feast of, of uh, Tabernacles. They would sing it kind of at the end, at the last day. Um, and some, even the young men, would sing it every day at the end of the day, and they would get uh, to this point. And they also did this here during the Passover. These men would, would gather together, these young men would sing the Hillel, and then the culmination of that song, of those songs being sung, when they reached uh, Psalm 118, specifically the end, verses 25 and 26, they would say, Save us, we pray, O Lord, we pray. Give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So here they are with these, these palms. And as this was sung, every male who had made the pilgrimage to the feast, they would shake a willow and myrtle twigs tied with palm in the right hand, and in their left they would raise this uh, a piece of citrus fruit, and that would signify the ingathered harvest. But here they would have palms in both hands, right? They would be raising these palms as they sung this Hallel, Save us, O Lord, right? And then at the end of it, when they would uh, finish this, they would all shout three times, Give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, because salvation had come, right? That God had provided, that the provision was there. This celebration was so common that they even named these palms, they would call them the Hosanna. These, these palms had that, that as their nickname, the Hosanna. So out of the 2,700,000 people crowd, the witnesses to the resurrection power of Jesus herald him the king, the one who saves, the sent one of God. Out of this crowd, those who have been witnesses to the resurrection. So the Christian is a person who has been called out from the crowd 
By the power of God's grace, the Christian has experienced the regenerative power of God in their own lives. The Christian has experienced a rebirth, a transformation from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The Christian has had life spoken to their dead soul, and they have come alive in Christ Jesus. In other words, they have become witnesses. A credible Christian witness then speaks forth the truth about who Jesus is. God has made the born again in Christ a herald. We are heralds. What are you heralding? What are you heralding in the world? See, a herald is really this. A herald is an authorized, official messenger of news from the king. But a Christian witness is an authorized, official messenger of good news from the king, from God. Jesus Christ. As a herald of Christ, the Christian is an official messenger of God bringing good news to the crowd of humanity. Here's this crowd, 2,700,000 people. And here are those who have been witnesses to the power of Christ to raise the dead to life at His word. And their response is to herald the King. Here's an official message. The King has come. The King has come. Here he comes. This is the news that we proclaim to humanity everywhere. This is what we ought to be about Christians as individuals. This is what we ought to be Christians as, as a church body. We are heralds, messengers of good news to a world that is so desperately in need of salvation. And we hail Jesus Christ as the King. He's not a coming King. He's not soon to be King. He is the King who is reigning now. That is our proclamation, right? And the world may hate you for that because they think they're King, right? But many who call themselves Christians today sound more, more like a herald of uh, an official who's called out by Fox News to... Uh, proclaim their truth, or uh, maybe even representative of the Republican National Committee, or that they are some herald who's speaking forth news of the social justice, justice movement of our time, rather than being a messenger of God's good news, that Jesus Christ is the king of the world who rules and he reigns, and he is the superior king above our political ideologies. He is the superior king who executes the perfect justice of God. Many Christians today sound like the crowd. They sound just like the crowd. They're saying the same things the crowd says. But those who've been called out of the crowd of humanity have a different message, a different proclamation. You're an official messenger of God the Father declaring Christ as King. That is our message. Are we bearing witness to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in our own lives from the crowd of humanity and to the crowd? Are we heralding the good news of Jesus Christ to a world who is confused by the sheer volume of messages that are out there. There's a volume of messages everywhere we go, isn't there? And, and you know, Amy and I were even talking about this this morning. You can't know what the truth is. They're so, the, the, the messages are voluminous on each side of every sort of thing that controversy out there, right? And, but we have a message that is solid truth that overcomes either side of the ideological fence. Either side. Christ as king over all of those things. Right? Superior to all of those things. Christ is superior to all of those things. And these truths, there are truths that the world proclaims, right? But 
they're, they're either false or they're incomplete. They're an incomplete truth. Because the complete truth is that Jesus Christ is king even over that truth. Even over whatever truth you espouse, Jesus Christ is king. That he is superior. He is the epitome of the truth that you're proclaiming. That, and it's even beyond what you think. If you don't think it's beyond what you think, just read the Beatitudes, right? That, they, that you can think one thing about who God is and how God's law works, and then you read the Beatitudes and Jesus says it's even greater than that. It's even more than that. Right? It's even more than that. Well, all that. Let's look at verses uh, 13 and 14 again. So they took the branches of palm uh, trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. See, the witnesses to the power of, of, the, of, of Jesus Christ uh, of Nazareth, they announce, uh, save us, O God. Here comes the one sent of the Lord, the king who will rule and reign over Israel. This is their proclamation. Jesus rides into town, but he rides in not on a war horse, but on a young donkey. What kind of king has come? What kind of king has come? By riding in a donkey rather than on a war horse, Jesus announces that my kingdom will not be according to your political or nationalistic aspirations. Their political and 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 nationalistic aspirations would have Jesus be the king that came in on a war horse who wiped out uh, Rome immediately, right? And Jesus signifying that, no, not according to your nationalistic aspirations, not according to your politic, I'm coming in lowly, humble, on a donkey. I'm a different kind of king. I'm a king beyond even your expectations. I'm a different kind of king. My kingdom will not be according to your political or nationalistic aspirations, but the kingdom of Christ is far superior to any kingdom in the whole world, is what Jesus proclaims as he comes low. Jesus is the king who brings peace. He comes peacefully, lowly. What kind of peace does he bring? What is this proclamation? It is peace, ultimately, between God and man. Jesus comes as a king who brings peace between God the Father and man. That which is heralded by the witnesses of the king they proclaim should also be according to the scriptures. We claim the king, we claim him according to the scriptures. As just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. See, when we look at verse 15, to flesh it out more thoroughly, uh, I want us to look and turn with me, if you would, to the passage that is quoted here from Zechariah chapter 9. And when you come there, we're going to use a few more verses than is quoted here. We're going to look at Zechariah 9, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 11, because this will fully flesh out uh, what they are claiming here. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. 
See here, to tell of the king who comes, the king who has come, it must rightly line up with the scriptures. You see, what they're proclaiming here, Jesus coming in lowly on the donkey, is affirmed by the scriptures. Who we say the king is, is the king Jesus is according to what the scriptures say. For the king to come according to the people's nationalistic and political aspirations, the king would come as a warrior and he would come in on a war horse. This, of course, would have whipped that crowd into a frenzy. Could you imagine if Jesus had come into this, uh, into this scene on a war horse, how the crowd would have been whipped up into a frenzy and they would think that now is the time for rebellion against Rome, let us overthrow them. It would have been just a crazy, crazy scene, right? But Jesus comes as a gentle king on a donkey, signifying peace. And, and, uh, and Jesus then is associated with the cessation of war, as we saw in Zechariah 9. He's associated with the cessation of, of battle, that, that the battle is over. This king on a donkey signifies peace and associates that him with the cessation of war. And secondly, the gentle king is associated with a proclamation of peace, not only as it pertains to Israel, but that that promise comes that the king's reign would extend to the ends of the earth. So they, 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 they declare him king of Israel when what they're quoting here from Zechariah 9 more fully fleshes this out and says not only is, is this coming king the king of Israel, but this is the king from sea to sea. This is a king who is the king over all of the earth. This is the king that they are proclaiming. This is the king that has um, come. The coming king uh, is gentle. According to the scripture, is associated also with the blood of God's covenant, as we notice in Zechariah chapter 9. A covenant that sets captives free. A covenant that is, uh, signifies his peaceful entry, see? And Jesus coming in in his peaceful entry uh, points us towards the Passover and the death of the servant king that is about to come. This death of the servant king whose shed blood would become the forever covenant of God's reign and this comes in just a few short days from now. So when we think about this and how we apply this to our lives, you and I as an authorized messenger of God's good news, as a Christian, we must proclaim the king according to the scripture. We have to tell the world of King Jesus, but the king according to God's word, not the king according to our sentiments or the sentiments of others. You see, friends, if we proclaim the king of God's gospel in a way that's inconsistent with the scriptures, we have vaccinated people or, or inoculated them from the real gospel, right? If we, if we tell them of another king, a different king, a king that is not in accordance with the scripture, when they hear the truth of the gospel, the saving gospel, the one that is written in the scriptures, that is the saving gospel. That is the saving good news according to the scriptures, right? If, if, if we tell them of a gospel that is somehow downplays that for their sentiments or for ours, then we have inoculated them and va vaccinated them from hearing the real truth and being saved in the gospel. We have, we have uh, uh, done them a great deal of harm and we have not delivered them any good news at all. When we proclaim the gospel according to the scriptures, then we bear a true witness. We bear a true and faithful witness when we preach the gospel according to the scriptures. We preach the gospel of the king that brings peace, but we must first complain, explain and make sure that it is real clear for the king of peace 
For Jesus to be the King of Peace, we must make sure that the hearer knows this, that those who are not in Christ, the natural man, the natural woman, the natural person is at enmity with God. That God is the right creator and the right judge and his justice is pure and it is perfect. And that we know this about God, that the guilty cannot go without punishment or God becomes no longer God. His justice is no longer perfect. Secondly, when we preach the gospel according to the scriptures, we proclaim the good news of the king who has come bringing peace. We must acknowledge man's guilt before holy God. The good news is not good news until we know just how bad the bad news is. We have to know how bad the bad news is before the good news is really good news. See, everyone, we must let them know that everyone who is not in Christ has not received Jesus Christ as King, who has not acknowledged Him as Lord, is deserving of the wrath of God. Now, once people know that that is the King of the Scriptures, the King of Peace, here comes good news. Yes, it's bad. It's really, really bad. But the King of Peace has come. I'm announcing that Christ has come. Christ has come bringing peace between you and the Father. Christ has come. And He's bringing peace. And this is good news according to the Scriptures. And then with that, we can boldly claim that Jesus is the King. That Jesus, born of man by the will of the Father in the Holy Spirit, lived out His humanity according to God's will and His Word perfectly. Jesus, born to a woman but born by the will of the Father, born by the power of the Holy Spirit, lived out humanity perfectly according to God's will and according to the obedience to God's Word. Jesus' obedience to the Father did not waver even to the point of death on a cross. Jesus' spilled blood is the covenant of peace declared by God according to the Scriptures. We announce that the kingdom... And we do announce this kingdom, and we talked about this several weeks ago, that when we announce the kingdom, we announce the kingdom in a graveyard, right? We announce the kingdom to dead souls, according to the Scriptures. But we can trust in those Scriptures because, guess what? According to the Scriptures, the Scriptures cut through bone and marrow to make one believe unto salvation. There is but one thing that man must do now. What must we do with this good news that I have proclaimed that you were at war with God, but God sent His peacemaking King to die in your stead and that He resurrected from the dead has given you life in His name. What is but one thing that our friends must do? Repent and believe the Gospel. Repent and believe And Jesus, He is the King. He is the King of that peace. Reject Him though. And then what? Reject Him and you receive in yourself the justice of God that is due to you. You don't receive injustice from God if you rebel against Him. You get what you deserve. Nobody gets injustice from God. You and I get what? Mercy. We get mercy from God, but everyone gets justice and no one gets injustice. Because God would then cease to be God, would He not? He would cease to be God if He's not just, and He's not always just. So, 
This is good news. This is the good news according to the Scripture. The King has come. The big question for us this morning is, are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with God? If any of you in here says no, if anyone you know has said no, there's a call to action for you who sit here and don't know that you have peace with God right where you sit, right where the person you proclaim the good news to stands or sits, the response is repent and believe the gospel. Will you? And then, what about the response? Well, as we look uh, back at John chapter 12, and we look at the responses here, let's look at 16 through 19. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So here it is. This is the announcement of Jesus Christ as, as king. And if you announce it, I know, I know many of you in here who announce Jesus Christ as king faithfully, that you faithfully proclaim that Jesus is on the throne, that he is your God, that he is Christ, that he is God. So I know that, I know many of you who faithfully do this. And you probably have in your own desire, in your own self, you want a response. You're looking for a response. You want a response to this gospel. Repentance and faith are the desire of a good witness of Jesus Christ. We desire that all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and that they would repent and believe in Him and put their trust in Him as King. So how do we define success in our proclamation of the gospel? Well, I say this. It's really simple. Success in the proclamation of the gospel is that the successful witness to the gospel tells the truth about Jesus according to the Scripture and that by living that truth out, they have evidence that they have received it in themselves. The response to the gospel then is out of our hands. The other people's response to the gospel is out of our hands. And we know this. How do we know this? Because we ourselves were dead in our trespasses and sins and unable to respond to the gospel until God himself made us alive to the truth of the scriptures about Jesus Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. It is the gift of God that no one may boast. That's how we know. We know any of us who have been saved, we know that it is God's work that saved us. Notice in our passage that his disciples don't understand these things until Jesus is crucified, dead, buried, and risen. The crowd that had witnessed the resurrection power of Jesus continued to tell the truth. Jesus of Nazareth is the king who has power over death, bringing peace to all who would believe. Some have come merely hoping to see a miraculous sign. The Pharisees say the world has gone after him. The crowd that claims Jesus as king of Israel. They have a broader sweep of humanity in mind when they say this. Well, the author of the text has a broader sweep of humanity in mind. They were probably narrowly thinking that Jesus is the king over Israel. But, but, but our author has in mind something bigger. John has something bigger. A bigger, broader sweep of humanity in mind is that 
The crowd that claims Jesus is king of the, over Israel is actually the king uh, who will, uh, over humanity, cause all to enjoy that Christ's reign is over all of God's people in every corner of the world, from sea to sea. The use of the word world in John's gospel commonly means this. He commonly means this. People everywhere, without distinction, who are lost in their rebellion to God. When he says world, the world has gone after them. John often means those who are lost in rebellion to God have found their salvation in Jesus Christ and the world has gone after him. Right? So these Pharisees rightly say that the world has gone after him. These who have been are being redeemed by Christ have gone after him. The world has gone after him. That is, people everywhere who are lost and in rebellion to God are coming to faith and coming to salvation in Jesus Christ, the King. And the Pharisees here, they mean all who have made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover, uh, they're going to follow him. And so what do they do? Their response to the gospel, their response to the announcement of the King uh, is to deny the evidence. Let's execute Jesus for blasphemy. They think this is the only way to stop him. And also, let's kill Lazarus while we're at it. Because Lazarus is a walking evidence of the power of God's resurrection and God's salvation of dead souls. The evidence is clear and it's right in front of our faces, but here's the thing. We'll kill him and we'll, we'll just squash the evidence. We'll destroy the evidence. This is, this is what they're after, right? The religious leaders of the day respond to the true witness of God concerning his Christ, deny, 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 and destroy the evidence. Not even death could destroy the truth, though. Not even death could destroy the truth of the gospel. And in fact, it is death that fulfilled it. Not even the death of Christ could destroy the truth that he is the king. God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus has brought us peace, has brought peace for the repentant believer. This is our claim, friends. This is our gospel claim. This is what we as individuals claim, that Christ is our King. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. We declare this with words. We declare this with having experienced it in ourselves. The truth of God's raising dead people to life. We are witnesses to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. As the scripture tells us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Right? It is alive in you. That same power has resurrected you to a new life. Right? We're not physically resurrected yet, but we have been resurrected to new life. We were dead and the scriptures spoke to us and cut through bone and through marrow and transformed our hearts to believe in Christ as king. And God then has brought to us what? Peace. Jesus is the peace-making king. The king has come. And the king we proclaim is the promised one of God. And he is the promised one of God according to the scriptures. His name is Jesus. That is the king according to the scriptures. His name is Jesus. Sometimes our affections for who might lead us in politics negates what we say about Jesus as king. 
Are you living for the king? Are you living for the kingdoms of the world, right? Jesus is king of all, of the whole world. He is ruling and reigning right now. His reign will expand forever and ever, according to Isaiah. Isaiah tells us that that the end of his government will know no end. That is the king that we proclaim. His ever-expanding government, Jesus, is ruling and reigning right now. And you look around and you go, man, it doesn't look like it. It looks like chaos is reigning. But in that, Christ is king. He's king over all of it, according to the scriptures. And according to my own heart, my own life. He has made himself Lord. I, I, there's, a, there's a phrase that I used to hear in church years ago. And I hate to go off on this tangent, but it made me think of it. I used to hear this phrase, make him Lord. That's an impossibility to make Christ Lord. He is Lord. You can't make him anything. He is the Lord. He is the ruler and reigner of all things in our lives, in our hearts, and in the world. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise his holy name forever. Amen? He is Lord. So I ask as we close here this morning that we let the aim of our witness be to declare Jesus as a king. That Jesus is the king over our work. He's the king over our school. He's the king in our marketplace. That This is our one message. The king has come. The king is ruling and reigning and he's bringing peace to you if you would just repent and believe. It's a, such a simple message that we complicate, isn't it? We make the message of the gospel very complicated. It's really quite simple. The king has come. I, have, I bear witness to his resurrection power in my life. You bear witness to the resurrection power in your life that God raised you from being a dead soul opposed to God and he raised you up and you believe in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That's our message plain and simple, and that he brings peace to those who repent and believe. Let us pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We are dependent upon grace to live according to these truths that we heard this morning. Lord, I ask for forgiveness for any places in my own heart, in my own life, where I've raised up other kings where I've raised up others, other rules, where I've made other things Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would renew me once again to understand that you are Lord of all, that you are not just the King, but you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords, Lord. And I trust your grace to enable me to do that which you have called me to because your Scriptures are clear that that which you have called us to, you will enable us, enable us to do. And I know that that will all be because of your grace. And it's just who you are, Lord. And so we praise and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.